The complexities of technology consumption are transforming transaction and support processes, as well as channel engagements. In this episode of Beyond Distribution with GTDC, Jason Beal, who is the Vice President of Worldwide Ecosystems at Barracuda, discusses the challenges and opportunities those changes bring to the vendor community with host Frank Vitagliano. They explore the value of multi-pronged go-to-market strategies and why an all-the-above approach with cloud marketplaces and MSP channels is gaining traction. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, next episode of Beyond Distribution, and I'm thrilled today to have uh, joining us uh, Jason Beal, Vice President of Worldwide Partner Ecosystems for Barracuda. So, Jason, good to have you. It's good to be here, Frank. It's uh, appreciate the invitation, and you know I'm a longtime fan and advocate of GTDC, so it's a special opportunity for me. Yeah, I know. I I appreciate it. I mean, you were on our advisory uh, council for um, for quite some time, and were was very helpful to us in terms of you know helping us figure out what we need to do to continue to be relevant to the really the supplier community as it relates to distribution. So thanks. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the things I like to do when we start is just spend a couple of minutes kind of talking about you in terms of how'd you get started? What, you know, what was your path into IT? What are some of the roles you've had? Um, because it's interesting for people to understand that perspective. Yeah, so right out of, uh, so I went to UC Davis uh, for undergrad and right out of uh, university, I came back to Southern California and I got involved in the action sports industry and the, the surf industry for a startup apparel and accessories and surfboard manufacturer. And it really taught me a lot of uh, hands-on business experience, right? So I had had a degree in international trade and development, but, um, you know, until you really get in, you don't know what a bill of lading is, how to set up international distribution, what is licensing versus distribution, and how do you get the imported and exported? So that taught me a lot. And I was there for a number of years, we grew the company. I had uh, many different roles as you do in a startup and wore many hats. But at some point I, I you know, wanted more of a challenge. I wanted to get into an industry that might've been a little bit more innovative, more disruptive, maybe a little bit more complex. And so at that point I was open to uh, recruiters and I had a recruiter contact me with a really great opportunity at a domestic value added distributor in the document imaging and content management space. So. I went and I met with the team, met with the CEO, thought it was fascinating what they were doing. And uh, and so joined, uh, loved the IT and, and I've been there for you know almost two and a half decades ever since and stayed in this IT industry. Yeah, well, and you've got just the experience, you've got vendor experience. I mean, you're, you're certainly well suited um, for the role you're in. So talk a little bit about, you know, you joined uh, Barracuda, I guess about a year ago. Right. Yeah, it'll be a uh, year in uh, in a well, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, worldwide role. I'm I'm based here in Southern California in a home office, but I'm traveling all the time. And Barracuda is based up in in Campbell, California. So uh, you're right. I had I had mentioned I started with a domestic um, specialty or value added distributor, and then from there, I kind of spread my wings a little bit with uh, Ingram Micro at that time, the world's largest. Um, global distributor, and I worked and I had a really, really great time at Ingram, incredible culture, incredible company, incredible leadership, and worked for Ingram uh, both domestically as well as the uh, internationally as they relocated me and my family over to um, 
to Belgium where they had a European headquarters in just south of Brussels. My wife is uh, French. My kids at that time spoke French. So it was, it was really easy for me to, uh, for, or for our family to adapt. And we ended up spending eight years in Belgium, working both with Ingram and then later with, with Palo Alto Network. So, so yeah, I made a lot of relationships while I was in Europe. And one of the relationships that I made was with Chris Ross. At that time, he was working and running sales for CA ArcServe, and I was at Ingram. And as you do, you, you keep in touch over the years. And uh, you know, a little over a year ago in the summer, Chris called me and said, hey, you know, he called me on WhatsApp. I was in France at the time. I remember, I still remember to this day, I was driving with the family in our van, you know, just in the countryside. And Chris called and we chit-chatted and he said, hey, is it looking for a, a head of global channels, a new role at Barracuda? And so we uh, we kept in touch. We kept talking. We met when he came over to headquarters towards the end of the summer. And uh, I, I did a lot of research. Uh, Barracuda reminded me a lot from a culture standpoint of Ingram, really kind of humble culture, a lot of teamwork. Uh, people really invested in the company, um, quiet confidence, not a lot of ego or politics. So so yeah, I've been here a year. I love it. You know, the research I done is uh, that I did has been proven uh, correct. So it's been a, it's been a great time so far. Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's the way. As big as this industry is, and as many people as that are in it, um, that's the way most of the jobs happen. <laughs> you know, it's you you knew somebody, you worked with them, and they come and pluck you for the next deal. And my last three have been you know exactly the same way. And so. And that's good. And it's a testament, frankly, to you from the standpoint of being able to develop relationships, but also from the standpoint of people having confidence that you could do the job. So that's a great deal. So what are some of your top priorities? Because even though you've been there a year, uh, obviously, it's a new role, you said, so newly created. So I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, starting up, there were a lot of things that you needed to tackle pretty quickly. Yeah, certainly. So, you know, right out of the gates, I'm always a believer of uh, listening and learning, uh, talking to as many people as I can from our distributors, our partners and uh, co-workers, just listening and learning, listening and learning. What are the challenges? What are the opportunities? So uh, I reread the famous book, The First 90 Days, and I try to follow that template in the first 90. And um, and they kind of kind of start to come to understand that Barracuda has been a channel centric, channel loyal company for, for two years or for two decades, we're, we're in our 20th year now, mm -hmm. um, but had, had previously had uh, channel management at a theater level, right? Americas, EMEA and APAC, but did not have a real global framework, a global channel strategy or a global partner program. And so that was one of the opportunities that I saw is how do we have create a global channel organization where internally our teams are working together, sharing best practices, much more aligned on what we're doing um so that's been one of the top priorities this year is to create a a community create a truly one global high performing channel organization creating this global channel framework and channel strategy with local adaptability uh making everybody feel great pride in being a part of that organization and then you know having all of the right strategies and plans and metrics to to drive execution yeah. And then externally, again, listening and learning from partners, I had a number of opportunities with our partner advisory boards, our EMEA partner advisory board, APAC partner advisory board, America's partner advisory board, 
to listen and learn both in, in the formal meetings and then just, you know, pinging them. We hosted our partner conferences around the world, talked to a lot of partners. And, um, you know, I have this expression that I've used for a while that I say, you've got to win the hearts and minds of the partner engineers first. So that's also been one of the priorities is how do we do even more with partner technical enablement and partner technical training? Because if you get the engineers at the partners, if you get them to see that you've got world-class technology, best-in-class technology, they're the ones that are going to design Barracuda into their reference architectures or their multi-vendor solutions or recommend Barracuda to their sales teams. So um, I think those have been, you know, those are the, the priorities internally and, and, and externally. I think we're well on track there. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, you are spot on in terms of the your comment regarding the engineers. I've had experience, you know, as a solution provider executive for almost two years. And I have to tell you that, you know, even though the sales reps are running around driving a lot of the sales activity, they're only as good as mm -hmm. their support, you know, folks and the engineers are the ones that are supporting them and really designing in the solution. So if you win those hearts and minds, you're a step ahead of the game. Absolutely. Exactly. And That's then right. equally as important, if, if unfortunately, if you don't convince them, they won't recommend yeah. you. So, yeah. yeah. Totally. totally agree. So, um, you know, this it, is interesting. I love I love having conversations with people that have, you know, a perspective that goes beyond just a vendor perspective or an SP perspective or a DISTI perspective. You you've got you know multiple uh, viewpoints, so that's good, and you've had the experience. You mentioned uh, so you know DISTI well, and you know that I'll eventually transition any discussion over to you know to DISTI. Um, but you mentioned in a news article last year, I think it was with Channel Pro, that you felt like there were opportunities for your company to do more through distribution. Now it was obviously in the beginning of the, you know, of your of your tenure. You're now a year into it. Do you still feel the same way? And if so, what you know, what types of things are you thinking about and what what could you do? Oh, there's so I absolutely still feel that way. That applies both domestically and internationally, where quite frankly, the the scope and the maturity of our two-tier uh, business varies. So we have we have opportunities to to improve, to enhance, to do more with distribution, both domestically and internationally. Um, you know, when I do, if you do take off you you the vendor hat for a sec, and I always, you know, as you know, in in these roles at vendors, you're constantly evangelizing the value of channel and the value of distribution. Right. And so one exercise that I like to do is, hey, let's put on our, our distribution CEO hat that have a limited amount of, of working capital. And where are the distributors going to make those investments? Well, they're going to make those investments in the vendors that give them the biggest return on that working cap, right? And so are we in a position where if we look at our competitive landscape, on the distributor's line cards, are we giving them an equal or better economic opportunity? We could have wonderful relationships with them. We can you know, do great things and be quite aligned in the market, but at the end of the day, you know, distribution economics is quite powerful in a way that they make their decisions and focus their resources and investments on one particular vendor versus the next. So we've been able to enhance our distribution rebate internationally. Mm. We've been able to introduce a new distribution rebate domestically 
which as you know, is still incredibly important for the distributors for so many different reasons. We are in the process of strengthening our distribution program to give them uh, more benefits for all of the investments that they do make for us. Uh, in the last year, we've got international distribution much more involved in our MSP side of the house, and they're playing a key role in, in, in aggregation of our MSP business like they never have before. And then I just finished an RFP for um, domestic distribution. So we think we can do more with our current distributor. And we also think that there's value in, in complementing that domestically. So yeah, we've I've been active, but at the end of the day, it's a two-way street, right? Are we providing the right economic opportunity for the distributor such that they would focus time, efforts, and investment on Barracuda? And then are we uh, asking and are they executing in a way that they're that we're driving success? Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't understand um, just the magnitude, the size, and the scope of the the folks that are in distribution, starting with sales folks that are out there, you know, influencing, you know, what gets bought, what gets sold on a regular basis, and then certainly the internal folks, and then as you know, you know, the way DISTIs are typically organized is by, you know, sort of practices. And, and those folks that understand that, uh, similar to your strategy around the technical people at the solution provider, it's, it's a similar approach. And, and oh, by the way, you and I have both, probably both been in more than one conversation when a distributor has said, well, you're in our top five vendors from a contribution standpoint, <laughs> or you're not. <laughs> and yeah. if you're not, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you got work to do. So that's great. That That's a good strategy. And obviously they've got to do what, um, what you're paying them to do. And that's important too, but you know, um, you, you make the assumption that that's going to happen. And some of the programs, it sounds like you're building helps drive that right. And helps in incentive to get there. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about marketplaces for a minute, because, you know, I know you're very familiar with them and I think, you know, there's, I don't know if I would use the word confusion, but there certainly is a lot of um, transitioning that's going on right now as people are trying to figure out, you know, how do the vendor marketplaces play? What, what are the hyperscalers doing and how are their marketplaces, you know, playing? And then, of course, each of the distributors are building platforms that include marketplaces. What, what are you thinking about that? What's, what's your philosophy and how, how are you looking at it? Because it's a major topic right now, you know, in the industry. Yeah, I have I have many 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 thoughts on that, and you know, so I'll start at a high level. Yeah. These marketplaces and all of the work that's done to drive integration in order to share um, data, let's call it, be upstream and downstream, is is you can liken it to just a a, a virtual supply chain or a digital supply chain, just in the ways where OEMs and partners and distributors. 20 years have been building various physical supply chains in order to get products to market. The marketplaces and the platforms are, are another form of supply chain. It's just a digital one, right? Which ultimately is meant to drive scale and automation and efficiency to get that end user access to the technology that they want. Second, you know, internally, I talk a lot about not just a channel strategy, but a routes to market strategy right? 
and there too, I always I always put myself in the in the shoes of the end user buyer. And think about this, you know, Frank, you're a buyer today, and let's say you want to buy something, you you go online and you buy it from one of the DMRs inside CDW SHI. Tomorrow you have here maybe a Comcast business is your internet, and they're selling you some extra security packages, or they might sell you even your uh, Office 365. So you buy that from them. The next day you want to get you know, a third-party piece of software alongside of some of your cloud consumption, you're getting that off of the AWS marketplace. The day after that, you're, you want to upgrade your SOC you know, with a new XDR service. You're getting that through a, a regional MSP or MSSP with whom that you work. You know, the day after that, there's a problem with your Wi-Fi and well, that was installed two years ago by a great local uh, solution provider. And so you're going to have that solution provider come in and do an assessment and maybe sell you some things and then do an ongoing uh, health check service. There's just so many different ways that that end user buyer are choosing to make decisions on procuring, consuming, and managing their technology, that it is a incredibly diversified route to market strategy. So I say all that to say, marketplaces are one of those routes to market. So they're a virtual supply chain, but they're also a way to get uh, products, SaaS services to an end customer, whether that is coming from a hyperscaler cloud provider, whether that's coming from a a B2B uh, marketplace provider specializing on a niche industry or industry segment, whether that's from classic distribution, whether that's from you know, this new startup cloudy distribution, whether that's from telcos and ISPs that are using marketplaces, they're an enabler, a part of the supply chain and just parts of the route to market. That's how I see them. And so when I look at Barracuda, I have this term, I want, I need an all of the above routes to market strategy, all right? I've got to find, I've got to meet that end user where they are. And so of course I need presence and automation and partnerships with all of those routes to market from, you know, classic distribution to telco ISP, to hyperscalers, to MSP, MSSPs. So that's broadly how I think about it. I'm an advocate. I'm a fan. It's absolutely part of the Barracuda strategy. We're investing more in our API capabilities into marketplaces. It will absolutely be a part of both our near-term and our long-term strategy. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, when you were going through that, you you almost have to look at it from two dimensions, though. You have to look at it from a B2C standpoint, I think, and, and a B2B standpoint, right? Because both both play. And, you know, the thing that strikes me, having, you know, managed a much simpler go-to-market set mm -hmm. of strategies, you know, years ago when I was a channel chief, um, is that there's a ton of complexity associated with what you just talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Complexity around how do I set pricing? How do I set channel conflict um, uh, uh, strategies, uh, principles, you know, how do I, how do I manage all of that in a way that is productive so that there isn't just, you know, you're not playing one channel off against another, or you're in constant conflict. And, it, and I think it becomes a little confusing and, yeah. and hard to manage. Are, are you, are you mm -hmm. finding that? Are you finding that, uh, 
you know, it's probably a little bit more challenging than it certainly was when we had uh, uh, direct uh, direct to VAR and yeah. uh, direct to VAR through, uh, through DISTI, right? <laughs> yeah, so I, so like definitely, that's a definite yes. And I'll, I'll answer that both, you know, generally and then with a specific. So the, um, you mentioned like channel rules of engagement. I've written a few channel rules of engagement documents in my career. And definitely to your point, they used to be a bit simpler, right? I'm, I'm writing the latest version here. It's getting longer, right? Because now because of these different routes to market and the different ways that the end users can procure the technologies and how our sales organizations engages with partners of varying business models, that document, that rules of engagement and your deal reg T's and C's, those are definitely more complex. Now, generally, though, I am still absolutely a believer in that old adage of the local trusted advisor. I still definitely believe that, you know, end users most in most industries of most sizes, IT management is not their core competency. And so they rely on partners right in order to come in and educate them about the latest technologies and help them make the decisions and then providing some services so i still believe that there are ways within partner programs to protect and or reward those who are influencing that end user buying decision regardless of how they end up procuring it yeah well and i and i have to believe that you know you guys have been doing this for 20 years and you know maybe this is the first time you've, you know, there's been somebody in your role, but this certainly isn't the first time that you've gone to market through, you know, partners and you've got, I would imagine, a very nice cadre of, of, um, of partners that you guys have depended upon and had relationships with for years. And so it'd be interesting to hear what they've said to you relative to, you know, because they always have an opinion relative to, you know, what you're doing well, certainly, and then areas you can improve on. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the I've always said that every, uh, you know, partner survey in the history of mankind, when asked by distributors, vendors or third parties, what do the partners need to be successful with a vendor? Every partner survey in the history of my, mankind has yielded the same the same answers, although these companies still keep paying consultants 50 grand to do the survey. <laughs> One is they need simplicity. Yep. Easy Keep to it simple, business. right? Yep. Easy to do business. Number yep. two, easy to understand how we make money. Don't, don't over-engineer it. Just, we've got to know how to make money with you. Number three is you got to have credibility, integrity, trustworthiness, right? Um, that's critical. Um, and then product reliability. And hey, if the product sometimes don't work, be there, have my back, have, you know, be supportive of me. Those tenants haven't changed in decades and decades and decades. You know, those same things still apply today. Again, what has changed is this diversity of, of business model, both at two-tier and at one-tier partner. You know, it used to be a simple world, Frank. Remember, we had either broadline distribution or you had specialty or there was volume value, kind of those just two models. And then partners, you know, you had resellers and then involved to to maybe vars or solution providers and then msps now holy moly so many different types of two-tier aggregation to your point earlier 
various marketplaces, hyperscalers, various different aggregators, master agent agents. And then in the one tier, you have DevOps providers, cloud consultants, all these new partners that I talked to and say, we're non-transactional. We only do services work, MSP, MSSP, the telcos, who are both two tier and one tier, incredibly complex. That's the complexity. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you one thing though. The, the partner business. Yeah. The four, the four items that you mentioned, um, I couldn't agree more. They have been, they have been like the staples of yeah. how a vendor ought to think about going to market through partners. And, you know, it seems easy. You know, here's, here's the interesting one. Cause I used to say this all the time. Every time you have a discussion with a customer, they would say, well, you got to be easy to do business with. You got to be simple. And you could say, well, geez, if I've been doing this for as long as I have, how can how come I can't figure out, figure that out, right? And the answer is, every time you announce a new program, every yeah. time you announce a new product, every time you announce a change of any kind, you have to go back to that principle and you restart it again. And that's the piece that people don't yes. understand. You know, they'd be like, well, how can people ask to be easy, easy to do business with for 25 years? You must be doing something wrong. No, you're evolving and growing. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, one of the things that, so you mentioned and you rattled off very quickly, this new ecosystem that now, you know, that now is out there. And I say new, it's not new, but it's more, it's certainly um, more confusing, more complex. One of the things, Jason, I've been talking about for about a year and a half, and you've probably heard me talk about it, is my notion that the distributor is sort of in a unique position you know, because they're, you know, up, the vendor community's yeah. upstream, the, the solution provider's downstream, the customer, and they're right in the middle here. And somebody needs to orchestrate this ecosystem. And I've been, you know, positioning it, uh, their role as the orchestrators. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that makes sense to you? And do you see that? Or or would you have a different view of that? No, I I, I do agree with that. I definitely agree with their role as one, they have this incredible window and it's not just right to the vendors and the suppliers, but now with all of their business intelligence, it's down to their to the end users or sorry, the suppliers, partners and end users. Right. So um, I don't think that the industry appreciates the level of visibility that the distributors have, nor do I think that the distributors yet have have completely optimized what they can do with that visibility and with their business intelligence, right? I always like internally when I evangelize distribution, I talk about, I say, hey, look, if you look at just domestically and you just look at the top three or four distributors in the last few years, three to five, they have visibility to a hundred billion dollar install base. That's a B. $100 billion, they know who sold it, where it was shipped and or entitled, licensed. Uh, they know the service, the warranty. They know the renewal. They they know all of it. They know the SEC code, SIC codes. They know the partner credit situation. They know the partner growth rates. They know what else was shipped there. That's incredible, right? Distribution doesn't have so much IP, but boy, is BI the crown jewel. I would love to see them continue to optimize what they can do with the business intelligence and action that for the vendor partners and for the 
uh, vendors uh, for the partners themselves, right? I have this expression, BI to grow the pie. The more the distribution does with that line of sight as an orchestrator with their business intelligence to truly grow the pie, grow the end user pie and guide the vendors and the partners towards the end user opportunities because of the analytics, then they take it, you know, to the next level. Yeah. Well, you just, you just, in a nutshell, you just, you just described the strategy. I mean, that's exactly the strategy that they're on with the proliferation of platforms, right? And the platforms include the marketplaces, but the, but the missing ingredient in the platform is the data piece. Yeah. And, and I, I used, it's not missing. It's to your point, it's not being capitalized upon, right? And that is going to be a major differentiator. And of course, now with AI and the ability to, you know, really figure out how to leverage that data. Um, uh, and that's, frankly, I did a podcast earlier today where I was the guest and somebody asked me about the future of distribution. And I described just what you just basically went through just what you said, which is <laughs> that's the future. That's yeah. exactly what they're going to do uh, and what they're investing in. And, and, and I think it's, um, and I think it makes sense. Well, look, we're, we're kind of wrapping up, um, but I do have a question regarding, you know, one area that, you know, now that you're living in, which is clearly an area that is critical for everybody in the whole cybersecurity space, right? And, um, you know, it's continuing to change. It, it's certainly challenging. There's lots of vendors out there, but, you know, what, what's your view on how do you see that landscape sort of evolving as, you know, as we go forward? Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's not going to get any easier for for the end customers nor for the channel. I think you just mentioned AI that brings a whole uh, additional level of, of complexity and sophistication. I think uh, I hear all the time right now. The one of the biggest challenges I hear from our partners is around the cyber insurance, the burden, the burden that our partners right now are feeling from their end customers, whether they're acting as an MSP for those end customers or a trusted advisor in more of a, a solution provider capacity, they're bearing the burden. It's their end user saying, help me to read this policy, help me understand the exclusions, help me to know, am I meeting the requirements? Do I have the right technology? Am I filling out these long forms <laughs> like help? And so, and I don't think that goes away. We see less providers of cyber insurance, we see higher costs. So the complexity, the threat, the amount of threat actors, the threat vectors with, you know, digital transformation, mobile, all the new users, all the new, it's, that's going to get more difficult. Now, I think the good news, and I'll mention Microsoft for a second, okay? And, and Microsoft in working with distribution, in fact, to help the partner community address our cybersecurity challenges. I always look back and I say, Microsoft and distribution did the industry a favor a little over a decade ago, dragging the partner community, kicking and screaming into cloud, right? <laughs> when many of us were saying, let's go to cloud and partners weren't yet ready or they didn't want to, and they knew the challenges, they didn't, right? Domestically and internationally. Microsoft and change to their program, their compensation, their licensing, right? And working with distribution to educate and have those partners move, they dragged the partner community into cloud and SaaS 
And that's what helped the industry grow in the last 10 years more around SaaS and PaaS and IaaS and all of our cloud models, right? I think the same thing is going to happen now with Microsoft and its distribution partners focusing more on security and, and Microsoft's partner compensation and its internal KPIs and bonus metrics so focused on security. You still have a large part of the partner community that haven't built their competencies, their capabilities on security that Microsoft and the distributors are going to once again pull a lot of those partners kicking and screaming into cybersecurity that it's a rising tide floats all boats. I absolutely see that as an opportunity for Barracuda. They'll build some competencies around some of the Microsoft security technologies, but they'll also want to complement and extend those capabilities with a vendor like a Barracuda. So again, the combination of Microsoft and distribution, I really do believe is going to help the channel to be able to help their end customers with their uh, cyber defense. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And um and I and I agree with you. Uh, well, look, um, I'm I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I think Barracuda is lucky to have you. Uh, you you certainly have a vast amount of experience. You know the channel really well, and you certainly know distribution. So you're well suited to you know run somebody's go-to-market strategy. So um, it was great catching up with you. Uh, I like I said before, I appreciate all the help and guidance you've given GTDC you know, over the years. And uh, we'll continue to stay engaged. And uh, and this was a pleasure catching up. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was good catching up. Again, I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the, the kind words and anything that you need, anytime that you need me, more of these or panels or a sounding board or content, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help. I'm a big fan of GTDC. Yep, great. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jason. Good, good, good talking to you. Likewise. Thanks, Frank. <laughs>